Welcome to The Grange Point, where we hang out and talk about the latest news in science technology and how they relate to your everyday life. This podcast is brought to you by the Young Scientists of Australia. We're a youth organisation aged 15 to 25 whose work is to promote science to the youth of Australia. Sports scientists have a pretty difficult job from keeping us safe and detecting cheaters. This is what we find out about how scientists are trying to keep an edge for sport administrators over the drug cheats by potentially detecting gene editing. Plus, how keeping sporting equipment and sporting areas like gyms clean can lead to the creation of some pretty strange chemicals in the air. Competition, or arms race, is inevitable in nature. We see it consistently with things like bacteria fighting back against the medicines we use to treat them when they cause us illness, or maybe the way viruses infect and take over their host and the bodies try to develop some kind of immune response to them. These things we see a lot in nature. We also see it in the relationship between two species, the way they evolve and change to adapt and change their strategies to get an edge on their opponents. We also see this in the human world, of course, as well. But when it comes to an unnatural advantage... That's something that scientists and sporting administrators work really hard to keep on top of. And what they're competing against is not fellow athletes per se. It's the team of scientists that often work in hand with athletes to develop new and ingenious drug treatments that sometimes get detected, but sometimes they don't. If you think about the use of steroids or EPO or other types of performance-enhancing agents, it's a battle between the administrators, the testers, people who are trying to detect whether or not someone has used a performance-enhancing drug, and those who are working in the labs trying to figure out ways to dodge that test, to fake the results, and keep the advantage whilst not going detected by the very extensive mechanism put in place by sporting administrators to take blood samples, urine samples, you name it, over long periods of time to try and weed out cheaters and keep the competition fair. It's a very difficult arms race with lots of twists and turns and for some periods of time people can end up with an advantage and it's only much later when tests gets more sophisticated, significantly more sophisticated or when we have some human intelligence or some information do we realise that just the scale of doping that may have been undertaken in a sport. You don't have to look much further than what was being done in cycling for such a long period of time. But similar scandals have happened in athletics, even in Australian football, you name it. So all athletes want to get to the top of their game. And they always look for new and improved ways to do this. Now, what's the most new and improved medical thing or biomedical thing you could think of? Well, of course, it's CRISPR. And this gene editing technique, does it have a role to play in performance enhancement? Maybe. And if it does, how on earth would you detect it if you're a sporting administrator? And it's these questions that Elena Streiter, Andreas Thomas, Nicholas Koroga, Philip Delhart, Mario Tevis have published on in the journal Analytical Chemistry. Just to recap, you probably heard it to death, but if you're not familiar, CRISPR is a popular way for scientists to do gene editing, effectively to change the DNA in many organisms. Recently won the Nobel Prize, you may have heard a little bit about it. Now, with this method, researchers can add an RNA molecule and a protein into the cells. The RNA guides the protein to the appropriate DNA sequence, and the protein cuts the DNA, chops it out like a pair of scissors to allow for alterations. Now, the thing is, 
when you start talking about gene editing, well, because you actually change the DNA by cutting out and taking out parts of it, you're actually doing something called gene doping, at least in the eyes of the World Anti-Doping Agency. Now, this agency has known that the potential for gene doping exists and may one day come, even though when the science isn't necessarily up to it. And they have listed CRISPR as obviously as a risk there, as a chance for gene doping to occur. To cut out genes to improve or change your response in certain conditions. Change your natural condition to be better suited to a certain athletic task. Maybe to process oxygen more efficiently, muscles to grow stronger, you name it. So if that's the case, how do you actually pick up if CRISPR has been used or if any gene editing process has been used by an athlete. It's not like something where we can take a blood sample or, or a urine sample to look for the signs of the chemical in the bloodstream. It's a lot more sophisticated than that and therefore needs a lot more fancy detection. Now, obviously, this is a long-term problem with not easy answers. And the first starting point is to see if you could detect one of those proteins used as part of the CRISPR process. And that's what these researchers, led by Myra Thevis and his colleagues, used, with their theory being that if you can find the precursor protein used as part of the CRISPR process, that being CAS9 from the bacteria Streptococcus pygenes, you could use that to identify whether or not this protein had been in place and then maybe, potentially, later on identify if, and confirm if CRISPR editing had been used. So first, you've got to see if you can detect this protein in what you would normally get as part of a drug testing screen, which would be obviously blood plasma. So they took this Cas9 and they put it into human blood plasma samples as well as mouse models. And by spiking in this protein into the human plasma, they then isolated the protein, cut it into pieces, and then saw if they could analyze it using mass spectroscopy. When they did that, they were able to show that they could identify unique components of the Cas9 protein, all from the same complex plasma matrix. So knowing now that they could detect this protein, okay, you take it the next step further. You use a, a Cas9, SPCAS9 protein, and you put it into a blood plasma mix and you see if you can detect it even when it's a not gene editing type protein, one and they call it inactivated. And they saw if they could find that again in the samples and they showed that they could. The last step was actually to see and undertake CRISPR and see if you could actually then find that telltale protein sign inside bloodstream where CRISPR had been used. Now, the concentrations of the protein peaked in circulating in the blood around two hours after, but could be detected after eight, up to eight hours after administration to the muscle tissue. Now, that's great because that means you have some window of detection, but not a large one. Particularly, we're talking about here two to eight hours after the actual injection of this into the bloodstream. So difficult now because you only have a limited slice of time to detect it. But it shows that it is possible to detect the precursors, the telltale signs of the CRISPR editing, which is incredibly important for making sure that we keep the sport clean in the future and not subject to genetic editing and gene doping. Now, this is the first steps paper, one that shows it is possible to detect gene doping and outlines a method of doing so. Is it incredibly efficient? Is it perfect? Not by any stretch, 
but it's one of the things that sports scientists and researchers will need to look into in the future to make sure we can keep games like the Olympics or large sporting tournaments clean and fair for all. This paper was published in the journal Analytical Chemistry. Lead authors, Alina Pastreiter, Andreas Thomas, Nicholas Gorba, Philippe Dehalt, and Mario Tevis. breathing and how much we breathe in and breathe out of course one of the most incredible things that you can do to really get your breath pumping in and out is of course exercise and where do you go when you exercise well we used to at least be able to go to gyms safely now i want you to cast your mind back if you've ever been into a gym or worked out somewhere whether it be a dance hall for sporting or karate area maybe perhaps a soccer pitch or any other type of gym from your school days, it probably had a certain smell. And that's because when you're exercising, you're sweating, you're huffing and puffing, you can emit heaps of different strange chemicals out of your body. An exercising person emits as many chemicals from their body as up to five sedentary people. That is pretty interesting. Because when you have all these chemicals coming out of your body, well, then they start to interact with one another and also with the rooms around them, the environment around them, leading to the creation of some pretty unusual scents and amino acids, chemicals, you name it, getting generated. Now, this interaction between these different chemicals in the air can lead to often a pretty bad smell. And so you try to clean it up, keep it clean with things like bleach, but the problem is, then you're just adding another chemical into that mix. So that's what researchers from the University of Colorado Boulder have been diving into. What they've been trying to figure out is the impact on indoor emissions and indoor air quality, particularly from the combination of exercising people and the chemicals used to clean those spaces. Because any indoor gyms are probably running with even more cleaning now than they were before. So... It's a pretty timely study. But this study dates back for a long time, actually, from research from Colorado Boulder. And it's a pretty interesting case, published in the journal Indoor Air. Now, lead author on this paper is Zachary Feinwax, with other researchers including Dimitri Paganonis, Megan Kaufman, Anne Hanshi, and a number of other collaborators. So, all the way back in 2018, the Colorado University Boulder outfitted a weight room in the Dalward Athletic Center, a part of the campus facility for student athletes like weightlifters and cheerleaders to work out in. With it, and they put in this suite of air quality sampling equipment. These instruments collected data from the weight room, from the input air, the supply air to the room, and they measured a large amount of different airborne chemicals in real time. So not just once a day logs, but actual continuous time valued monitoring. Now, when they were doing this, they found the athletes' bodies, when they compared it to a control room, produced three to five times the amount of emissions while they were working out compared to when they were at rest. And you can see this by actually looking at who's in the room, what the emissions were at the time, and then what happens afterwards. And they were only able to find this out by monitoring this gym room effectively for a long period of time. 
because it was the first time really that such a gymmer had been modelled to do such a high level of sophistication and they could see exactly how many chemicals the athletes were emitting pretty much in real time. Now, the thing is, most gyms, including this one, use chlorine bleach-based products to sanitise their sweaty equipment. This is incredibly important, they kill surface bacteria, they make things clean, they make things safe. But the problem is, when you sweat, you emit some chemicals, and these chemicals go into the air. Bleach, or chlorine-based cleaning products, release chemicals off-gassed into the air as well. Now, these two air-based chemicals then interact with each other, forming some mix of new chemical of cocktail of chemicals in the air. Now, what they saw, and they were the first to observe a chemical group called the N-chloramidides. It's a reaction product formed by bleach with amino acids, basically with stuff from the sweat in the gym air. That meant the chlorine from the bleach cleaner sprayed onto the equipment was reacting with all of the amino acids released from all of the sweating bodies building up in the air. More sweat, more cleaning products. And therefore, you end up in a cycle where the air actually gets a pretty significant chemical reaction happening in it that could be detected, and a unique one at that. Now, what does this mean? Uh, do we get similar reaction products with ammonia bleach rather than chlorine bleach? Because that, if that's the case, that would be quite potentially harmful to human health. And since we spend a lot of time indoors and we are now much more aware about the time we spend indoors with good ventilation, especially when working out or doing any activity really, this is a timely study. But it shows that how even when we keep something clean, the cleaning products we use can be interacting with gas or chemicals that we release ourselves in unexpected ways. So even though you might think something is incredibly clean and it might be being kept clean, you still have to think about the unintended consequences. It might go a little bit of a way to helping explain some of our discomfort with some of these gyms, but just cleaning it more isn't perhaps the answer. It's an interesting paper published in the journal Indoor Air from Colorado University Boulder. This has been the Young Scientists of Australia's podcast, LaGrange Point. From detecting gene editing to keep sport fair, to keeping rooms like gym equipment clean by making sure we don't create weird combinations of chemicals with the sweat and the bleach. Our ending theme was composed by Audio and Head to ysa.org.au for more information about the Young Scientists of Australia.